0: We're at the Gospel of John, chapter 19. Jesus is on the cross, and it's, uh, he's just told uh, John, take care of my mom. And I've always wondered, you know, Jesus had brothers and sisters. Why didn't they take care of their mom? I've been, and I believe the reason is because they didn't believe in Jesus at first. So, John has just been told, take care of my mom. He said, okay, will do. Hallelujah. And uh, lo and behold, the uh, soldiers had just fulfilled some prophecy. These Roman soldiers are executing Jesus. You know, <clears throat> And they don't know the Bible. They don't know the Old Testament. But it, they fulfill scriptures by gambling for Jesus' clothes or his uh, garment and uh, dividing his clothes up. So after this it says after all that's taken place after this Jesus knowing that all was now finished said another to fill another scripture i'm thirsty and it goes on to say a jar full of sour wine stood there so they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth why didn't they give him water If he's thirsty, why didn't they give him water? I just don't understand what people think sometimes. But they gave him the sour wine. One of the other Gospels, and by the way, um, this whole scenario is also recorded. uh, These verses that we're going to go through today, verses 38 to the end of the chapter, verse 42, are recorded also in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 27, Mark's Gospel, chapter 15, and Luke's Gospel, chapter 23. But in order to fulfill Scripture, they're going to give him some sour wine. They had offered him the sour wine earlier. And in uh, the other Gospels, it says that they offered it mixed with some other uh, ingredients to try and numb the pain, I guess. And he refused because Jesus went to the cross to, to take upon Himself the punishment that we all deserve, I had somebody tell me uh, uh that they didn't they resent being told that they're a sinner and that they need to be saved so so this individual sends back a text saying sin is uh, one of those uh, made up Christian concepts, so I texted back sin's been around a lot longer than that, not only that it, the sin is just a name for evil. If you read John's gospel in chapter 3, when Jesus talks to Nicodemus, he says, God gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And it also goes on to say that Men wouldn't come to Jesus, they don't want to come to the light because their deeds were evil. So you can call it sin or you can call it evil. There's a lot of people that don't think that they've ever done anything evil. And I guess uh, they don't think they need a Savior either. But everyone needs to be saved. Can you say amen? Praise God. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head, gave up his spirit. Just before this, this is at about three o'clock in the afternoon. At noon, it says darkness covered the whole earth in Matthew's gospel. They crucified Jesus at 9 a.m. At noon, he's on the cross for three hours. Darkness covers the whole earth. And the Bible says, and it uses an interesting word, it says that this darkness began at noon, lasted till 3 p.m. Noon, 3 p.m., was the time of the evening sacrifice. If you remember in Exodus chapter 10, the 10 plagues, the ninth plague was darkness that covered the land of Egypt. And it says this darkness was darkness which may be felt. And I believe that this is the same kind of darkness. Darkness covered the whole land. According to Rick Renner's expository um, account, the Greek word for the whole earth is guess, which means the entire earth, not just that region. This is to explain or to uh, emphasize what was going on when Jesus was on the cross. It was a tremendous battle. Darkness, evil covered the whole earth. And then Jesus, in Matthew chapter 27, verse 46, he cries out, fulfilling scripture from Psalm 22, verse 1, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jameson Fawcett and Brown's commentary says, This cry will never be fully comprehended by mankind. That God turned from his own son because he couldn't look on sin. In verse 28 here, it says, Jesus knowing... Or seeing in one text that all things were now accomplished. What all things? It says, somebody, one of the commentators said there were over 300 prophecies from the Old Testament that were fulfilled in Jesus' birth, death, burial, and resurrection. And here, we're only up to His death. haven't got to His burial or His resurrection yet. And His second coming. So how could he say that all things, all things were now finished? How could he say that? What he's talking about is paying the debt because this word, it is finished. I was reading a commentary. It says that uh, the Greeks were, uh, you know, very proud of their language, that they can, you know, make words that were just so precise. And this word, it is finished, or this phrase, it is finished, is a, um, a Greek word that means paid in full. But before we even go there, let's back up to here that all was now finished. This word finished is a Greek word, uh, teleo, to end. It means to complete or to execute or conclude or discharge a debt or make an end or finish or pay. And it comes from Another Greek word that means the conclusion of an act or the result. So Jesus, knowing that the result of him being on the cross is about to be completed, says, I'm thirsty. Hallelujah. Luke chapter 18, verse 31 says, All things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be fulfilled or accomplished. So, all things now finished? How many know that time is irrelevant to God? A thousand days, a thousand years is as a, a day to God and a, a day is like a thousand years. Time doesn't matter to God. With, and we, I don't know about you, but I can't comprehend that. <laughs> God's in eternity. We're here on Earth, stuck in time, space, and matter. You get this. Excuse me just a moment. <clears throat> I need more room. I need a bigger desk. <laughs> when I'm studying, somebody gave me a church pew. It's about from the uh, wall to here. So when I'm studying, I've got a pile of books here, a pile of books here, and a pile of books in front of me. And uh, it's just nice to have more room. But anyway, I digress, sorry. <laughs> Accomplished. The darkness had covered everything. And all things are fulfilled. Now, What's interesting here is they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch. If you recall, or if you have studied, and hopefully you have, you'll remember in Exodus chapter 12 where it talks about the the Passover lamb. God told Moses to tell the people, take a branch of hyssop, dip it in the blood of those lambs that you have killed, the very best lambs that you had, and sprinkle it and strike the doorposts and the lintel of your house with that blood. And I think it's significant that they put it on a hyssop branch. Uh, Jameson Fawcett and Brown's commentary says it was only about 18 inches long. So, anybody ever seen pictures of the crucifix? Jesus is like way up in the air there. That's probably not how it was because that hyssop branch, they couldn't reach that high. And besides that, how would the Roman soldiers put the crossbeam up there if it was way up there? In any event. So, they give him this. It says in Exodus chapter 12, verse 22 dip and strike the lintel and the doorposts. In Leviticus chapter 14, verse 1, hyssop is used in cleansing of leprosy. In Numbers chapter 19, it's also used in the red heifer offering. In the famous Psalm 51, where uh, David uh, is repenting of uh, committing adultery with Bathsheba and murdering her husband. In verse 9 or verse 7, he writes and says, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Glory to God. What a horrendous sin this king of Israel had done and he could be forgiven and still be called a man after God's own heart. Just amazing what a God we have. Jesus on the cross received the sour wine. He said it is finished. Paid in full. He bowed his head and gave up his spirit. now, my Bible in the King James is a big exclamation point here because, in most, if you've seen most movies, Jesus is up there and he goes, Oh, it is finished. And he just whimpers out. This is a victory cry. He doesn't say, it is, He shouts. The loud voice, the other scripture says, It is finished. I beat the devil. It's done. Hallelujah. He jumps. He. he Do you get that? It's a victory shout, not a wimping out. And he gave up his spirit. It wasn't taken from him. Jesus said, I lay down my life. No one takes it from me. That's authority. That's power. Amen? Hallelujah. And he gave his blood because the life is in the blood. The Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. You and I cannot give our blood. Our blood's not holy. Jesus' blood was holy. The Immaculate Conception, the amazing thing is that the pre-existent Jesus was placed into Mary's womb and she didn't supply the ovum. Amen. It was a whole deal of Jesus, miraculously being put in there because the blood of the baby is not mixed with the blood of the mom. And Jesus' blood was holy from the moment of conception, the moment that he was conceived. Um, when when the baby is conceived in the human terms, everything that's needed is immediately put into place. The life begins at conception. Can you say amen? I don't care what the abortionists say. I don't care what the uh, lunatic murdering people that promote all that garbage say. In that moment, everything for that human being is created. The uh, DNA says everything starts right now and it grows and it becomes a human being and the blood the life is in the blood if you have no blood you have no life one of the amazing things about blood is that the the uh the chemical or the element that carries oxygen to your body to your cells is hemoglobin and hemoglobin is based on iron molecule I like that. Jesus had iron in his blood. And it was holy iron. Amen? There's a book somebody wrote. I don't, I've don't. i never read it. I've only heard of the name of the book. It's called Steel in My Soul. We need some steel in our souls. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. Wine mixed with myrrh or gall. In Matthew's Gospels, people say, because Jesus cried out, Eli, Eli, lama sakti? And I however you say it. And somebody said, wait, wait, don't don't give him that. But in this gospel it says Jesus received some of the sour wine. He says, That's enough. Jesus on the cross is called the vicarious atonement, the vicarious uh, or substitutionary propitiation, and the fancy word propitiation just means a covering. When uh, the in the Old Testament, when the high priest came in once a year to offer sacrifice for the sins of the whole nation, he'd go into the holy of holies with blood, and if he didn't have that blood with him, he was dead. But he came into the sanctuary with the blood to the ark of the covenant. And he just didn't walk in, and that was it. He had to do something with it. He had to sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat, which is called the propitiation, and it covered the sins of the whole nation for a whole year. Oh, great. Now we get to sin for the rest of the year. No, it's it's for forgiveness. When we get forgiven, we're supposed to stop sinning. Amen? Praise God. We're supposed to repent. The blood in Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11, it's the blood that makes atonement for forgiveness. And it is finished. Hallelujah. Just like a seed dies to give new life, Jesus' death gave birth to a new dispensation, the dispensation of grace. First Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19 says, You were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, not with gold or silver, but the priceless blood of Christ. Anybody see that article recently about the gigantic uh, ruby somebody uh, found and polished and sold like $53 million for a nice gemstone? Who has that much money? million. But the blood of Jesus is more valuable than that. Amen? All the gold in the world can pay for anybody's soul. Listen to what it says in Joel chapter 3, the end of Joel's book. It says, They have shed innocent blood. Here's Jesus on the cross. Innocent blood. He never sinned. He. They have shed innocent blood. But Jerusalem shall abide from generation for generation. For God says, for I will acquit or forgive them of the guilt of bloodshed. Isn't that just amazing? These people that put Jesus on the cross, not the Romans, but the ones that gave him over to the Romans that demanded his crucifixion. Innocent blood was betrayed, but God says he'll forgive it. That's powerful. Amen? Glory to God. Hallelujah, it's finished. Isaiah chapter 53, it says these words, He, God, shall see the labor of His soul, Jesus' soul, and be satisfied. There's a song that one of those phrases in the song is on the cross where Jesus died. The wrath of God was satisfied. Jesus has delivered us from the wrath to come. Eight verses of prophecy were fulfilled in Psalm 69, verse 21. They gave me gall. The sour wine was mixed with gall in the other scriptures. They gave me gall for my food and for my thirst. They gave me vinegar, sour wine to drink. Isn't that amazing? Paid in full, over 300 prophecies. A commentary that I was reading says only John's Gospel says that Jesus gave up his ghost or gave up his spirit. Why? I don't know. Don't ask me any large questions. I don't know all the answers. But the bill's paid. Amen? My dad was an accountant. And he had a, a painting company contractor that he uh, worked for. And uh, he says... Uh, he called, the guy calls up my dad one day, and the guy is from Italy. He, hey, Roger, how come you no not paying the bill? And he says, Well, I filed it because you wrote uh, uh, paid on it. No, 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 he said, I write paid. <laughs> <laughs> <So> <laughs> <laughs> paid in full, the accounts reconciled, no more debt. Hallelujah. Second Corinthians chapter 5 verses 18 through 19 says these words now all things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us this ministry of reconciliation amen it's a real tragedy that when we go to share the gospel with people then reject it. They don't want to hear the good news that God loves them, that God will forgive them because Jesus paid the price for their sins that Jesus took our place on the cross. What a tragedy is when people reject that. Verse 19, this is it. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. The end of the chapter 5 in Second Corinthians says, basically, this is the gospel, that God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us in order to make us the righteousness of God in him. There's people that are righteous. They do righteous things. But the righteousness of man falls short of the righteousness of God. Jesus says, it's finished. His malice for his enemies. They did their worst. The Father's will was done. Messianic prophecies were fulfilled. The real sacrifice from heaven came to earth. Sin's power was broken. Jesus entered into the joy set before him. Jesus tasted death for us all. And we will soon get there if we don't get raptured first. And a fountain of grace has been opened for salvation to all who will believe. These are the things that Jesus said are done. All of this, Hallelujah the life is in the blood and the blood is effective for the forgiveness of sin and then verse 31 since it was the day of preparation so that the bodies should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath for that Sabbath was a high day and this is a significant thing that they're saying here the Jews asked Pilate that the (laughs) because Jesus was crucified between two thieves can you imagine (laughs) <laughs> if uh, they punished thieves like that today, <laughs> wonder if there'd probably be a lot less stealing. We had a one job. We had a. Uh, uh, we're working on a, um, a reservoir, a water reservoir up on uh, the north side. And we had a block building for the pump house, and had a metal door on it, and we had a fence around the <coughs> property. And we come in one Monday morning, and the bottom of the door had been bent out. And all of the electrician's tools, thousands of dollars of tools that were locked up, were gone. Somebody stole them. You see the tire tracks going out, the fence is open, and I thought, you know, if those thieves would put that much effort into getting a real job, man, they'd go places. On the other hand, if they got caught and crucified, (laughs) other thieves would probably take notice. So they come to Pilate, and of course, you know, they, they don't want to go into Pilate's uh, praetorium uh, because they'll be defiled. What a bunch of hypocrites. They murder a man on a on the, on the day of preparation, but then they don't want to go inside and talk to Pilate. So they asked, Yeah, hey, Pilate, break their legs so that they die quicker. What nice guys. So the soldiers came and wrote the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. I guess this was common practice. I, have, uh, uh, I read an article in a Biblical Archaeological Review magazine, and they actually had a photograph of a guy who had been crucified and his legs had been broken, and they found the spikes were about this long. And his feet were stuck together, and it went through his heel bones and into the wood, and it hit a knot, and the end of the spike bent, so they couldn't get it out. I guess they reused them, <laughs> the spikes. <laughs> and so they found that this guy, that that's how the guy was crucified, and the wood had rotted away, and they could tell by looking at his bones, that he was probably a rich guy that didn't do a lot of work because when you do a lot of heavy work, your, your muscles and tendons make different marks on your bones. And so these guys, and his feet were, <laughs> like, uh, they had to cut the wood and bury him, but they would break their legs. And they, to do that, had to get a big club and whack and just, anybody ever broke a bone? The shock of breaking a bone is like, oh man, you can feel it. I broke this fingertip twice. Holy cow, the second time I broke it, I made a bunch of holes in the wood with my hammer. But man, that hurt. I broke a rib one time. That hurt as a shock. Here they come. Wham! Crack! And they break their legs so that they couldn't push up anymore. Die quicker. Ah, oh, Pretty nasty. They don't want... They don't want... Uh, and actually, chapter 21, verse 22 and 23 in Deuteronomy, it says that bodies were not to remain overnight. They're supposed to be buried on the same day. Otherwise, the land would be defiled, especially on a special Sabbath. This special Sabbath, preparation day, this Sabbath was the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So they didn't want to make, they didn't want these guys. <laughs> Hanging up there overnight Because it was outside the city and people coming into the city for the festival would see them. And it's like, oh I read one time that the Romans got so mad with the Jewish people that they crucified like a thousand people out on the road At one time. Can you imagine that sight? Holy cow a bunch of people hanging up there and I'm sure they weren't quiet Glory to God. The blood, the sprinkling of the blood in Hebrews chapter 4, chapter 12, verse 4, speaks of better things than that of Abel. Jesus' blood has got power in it. Abel's blood spoke for vengeance. Jesus' blood speaks for mercy. Amen. Hallelujah. What are we supposed to do? How what do we know about Jesus? Jesus loved the church and gave himself up for it that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12, it says, with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Hallelujah. In Zechariah chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, Talking about Jesus, it says, Behold, I am bringing forth my servant the branch. Verse 9. And listen to what it says in verse 9. And I will remove the iniquity of that land in one day. One day on the cross in Jerusalem, outside of Jerusalem, over 2,000 years ago, in one day, Jesus removed iniquity. Hallelujah. He paid the price. So they didn't break his legs. Because when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was already dead. They didn't break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. These soldiers were professional killers. It was their job to make sure that these guys on the cross died. That was their punishment. So he comes and he stabs them in the side with a spear. This was to fulfill prophecy of Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. It says, when they will look on him, on, it says, then they will look on me whom they pierced. Now this word pierced in Zechariah means to be thrust through with a javelin. In Psalm 22, verse 16, it says, they pierced my hands and feet. This word pierced means to bore through with a hammer and an awl. So it's two different things. Glory to God. The blood and water in Jameson Fawcett and Brown's commentary it says this water was clear lymphatic fluid that the, from the pericardium which is a membrane that encovers covers the heart and it under prolonged agony Water builds up in there. So the soldier comes and he pierces Jesus in the side and blood and water comes out. He knew what he was aiming for. He knew where the heart was. Remember the O.J. Simpson trial? The, uh, his wife's throat got cut and her friend, I forget his name, Ronald Goldman, I think, he got stabbed and I read the report Whoever stabbed him knew what they were doing because they stabbed him twice. And the first time in the back of your body next to your backbone is major blood vessels, and they missed. So they moved the knife and stabbed him again, and they got that blood vessel, and he bled to death, and that's how he died. So these guys, they knew what they were doing. They were professional killers. They wanted to make sure that Jesus was dead. In the other gospels it says Pilate marveled. They're dead already. How could Jesus die before the two thieves? My opinion is, according to what I read, is that not only did Jesus have the guilt of all the whole world put on him. But think of it, here are the thieves. We're we're up here because we stole stuff. And Jesus is up there because he's taken the sins of the whole world, all the punishment, all the suffering that every sin that ever was or will be committed, placed on him. And can you imagine the weight of that? It's hard to comprehend. And I believe that's why Jesus expired. And it doesn't say whether or not the two thieves were scourged also because Jesus lost a lot of blood just from the scourging. I read one commentary that says that sometimes uh, the guys that did the scourging, it was so nasty that they'd get sick to their stomach. So Jesus expires before these two guys, and Pilate is amazed that Jesus is dead already. Oh, go make sure. And this is to make sure that these professional killers, Jesus was definitely dead. He didn't swoon. He didn't just faint. He died. He was literally dead. You can tell a dead body—they don't move, they don't talk, they're cold. And so they wanted to make sure. Yes, he was completely dead, not just mostly dead. Completely dead. One of my favorite lines from the Princess Bride movie: "Hey, what's what's worth living for in there?" So what are you asking him for? He's dead. Oh, How the could know so much about miracles? You just. Mostly dead, not completely dead. Oh, what's the difference? Well, if he's completely dead, you go through his pockets and look for loose change. <laughs> but Jesus, Jesus was completely dead and he didn't have any clothes on. They, they crucified him naked <coughs> so there was no, no loose change. No loose ends. Jesus got everything done. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's go on. And there's a whole sermon on the blood and water there. He who saw it has borne witness. This is John talking about himself again. His testimony is true, and he knows that he's telling the truth. Isn't that wonderful? This is not a made up story. Jesus really was alive, really lived, walked and talked and prayed for people and healed people and did miracles, turned water into wine, walked on the water, made bread out of nothing. He really, really lived. And people who deny that are denying themselves of such a blessing. To know Jesus and to have the hope of eternal life. That this life is not all there is to it. That there is going to be a day coming when Jesus renews the entire universe, recreates it, a new heaven and a new earth, wherein there is no unrighteousness, no one lying to you, no one stealing from you, no one trying to murder you. Hallelujah. A day was coming, and we have that hope and that blessed assurance that we, because we've trusted in Jesus, will be there living in that realm. Hallelujah. The day's coming. This is exciting stuff. That Jesus paid the price for all. We're, we're going to see the resurrection from the dead. We'll see our loved ones again. Whether or not they all get to stay with us is another matter. But Jesus paid the price. Hallelujah. So that we have that hope and that blessed assurance. No matter what you're going through, no matter what difficulties, troubles, trials, uh, many other afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. There's trouble in this world, but we are coming to a time when, or, and place where time and reality as we know it will be superseded by the greatest and the best thing that you could even imagine. <laughs> you can't even imagine it. But God has given us little bits and hints. And John says, I'm telling you this because it's true. And I'm telling the truth so that you may believe. For these things took place that the Scriptures might be fulfilled. Not one of His bones will be broken. In the uh, book of Exodus, that was one of the requirements for those lambs that they slayed for the Uh, killed and cooked and ate, don't break the bones. Don't break the bones. Exodus chapter 12, verse 46, that Passover lamb shall not have any broken bones. In verse 20 of Psalm 34, Psalm 34, 19 says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. And then in verse 20 it says, He guards all his bones. Not one of them are broken that the scripture might be fulfilled over 300 prophecies thank God we don't follow cunningly devised fables these are not imaginary things these are actual facts and then again they will look on him whom they have pierced which we already went over After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, Matthew Henry's commentary says, uh, (laughs) better to be a secret disciple than not a disciple at all. Amen? He also says he was unfortunately, unavoidably linked with bad men. Some places uh, where you work, there'll be people who are not nice. They're not saved. They're not... Good, they're bad people, and you are unavoidably linked with them. Joseph and Nicodemus, his friend, both, it says, were not... uh, it's not, It's one of the other Gospels that says he's a secret disciple for fear of the Jews, and he did not consent to the decision to have Jesus killed. Isaiah chapter 53 verse 9. He goes and the other gospel says he boldly comes to Pilate. I wonder if he actually went in. That way he'd be defiled. (laughs) And Pilate gave him permission so he came and took away Jesus' body. What would have happened if Joseph didn't go there and ask Jesus? They probably would have just buried Jesus you know with the thieves make a common grave or something. But somehow, some way, Joseph of Arimathea is inspired out of respect for Jesus, and he's a respected member of the council. In Matthew chapter or Mark chapter 15, verse 43, that says Joseph of Arimathea was a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God. And he goes, if nobody had asked, the Jews or the Romans would have buried Jesus with the thieves. But he goes and he asks, came and took away his body. And then uh, Nicodemus also, who had earlier come to Jesus by night, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. According to Dake's commentary, this is about $2,500 worth of stuff. And he brings it. So they took the body of Jesus, bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden was a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. Isn't this amazing? The fall of man took place in a garden, and the burial and resurrection of Jesus took place in a garden. I like that because of the Jewish day of preparation since the tomb was close at hand they laid Jesus there. In the other gospels it says that Joseph of Arimathea actually owned this tomb and he had carved it out for himself. Little did he know that this was only going to be temporary. Little did he know the burial custom of the Jews. It was hurried because in Mark chapter 16 it says the women were planning to come on the day after the Sabbath to finish the job. Death, hell, and the grave is conquered in the garden. And that is the end of chapter 19. Praise God.